Here we go, here we go. Welcome to Police Pod Talk. Whoop, whoop, it's the police. Don't look in your rearview mirror. This podcast covers the latest police news, along with hitting the hot topics you've been talking about all week. I'm your host, Cleveland. Thank you for joining us. Hey folks, welcome back to Police Pod Talk. Again, I always hope you had a wonderful weekend. And today, I am thrilled, I'm pumped, I'm blessed to have a special guest with us on the air. Uh, She's on her phone way out in Denver. We will be talking to Jean Assam. Uh, She is a police officer. We're going to talk about her career, her life, and what she's doing now. And uh, Jean, you can say hello to the listeners out there. Hello, listeners. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All the way from Denver. (laughs) Jean, what's the weather like out there for you right now? Well, it's interesting. Uh, Yesterday it was like 70, and today we had... uh, I woke up to a snowstorm. Wow. So, <laughs> and cold. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, we had so, uh, warm weather the other day, and then we woke up to a bunch of wind and cold. And today is supposed to be up in the 70s and then dropping down again. But, yeah, well, we expect that around this time of the year, I guess, right? Well, it's like being a cop. You never know what uh, what you're going to get on a call. So I kind of like it. I like the... Uh, excitement okay well i tell you Nothing what you, mundane yeah you can you can have the cold okay i'll keep the warm <laughs> excitement you can i was never a big fan of the cold but but i love it yeah gene I, I do appreciate you being here with us today and uh i'm gonna let you do a lot of the talking because i mean our listeners are going to want to know and especially as a female officer coming up through being a patrolman through the ranks go ahead and give us your history your your family uh, going to school and making that decision to become a cop. And I'll just throw in questions every once in a while. Go ahead, Jean. All right. I will uh, make it as uh, exciting as possible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, nobody in my family was a cop, and I was supposed to go to uh, Hamlin University, which I did, uh, a very good college in St. Paul, Minnesota, and be a lawyer because Hamlin has its own law school also. Okay. And I was taking the undergrad pre-law classes, and I met uh, some Minneapolis police officers, and they invited me to, you know, there's usually two persons to a squad. So I rode along with them, and I had already gone a year to, uh, to Hamlin taking the undergrad board, very bored, and... Just I kept riding along, and I decided, you know, this is this is me. I'm a I'm a police officer. You know, you have to be a fast runner. I was a track star, oh. and you have to be quick thinking. You have to be brave, and it's uh, something different all day, every day. And it was very busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a big department, and I just I fell in love with it. I changed majors to switch to criminal justice and psychology and uh i got hired very quickly because i you know i had my college degree so right criminal justice and psychology so um i became a minneapolis police officer and when our training lieutenant said you're assigned to the north side the fourth precinct which is the most dangerous district in the city, I was elated. I just, I was very happy, and uh, just, I just loved. I just loved every minute of it. I just loved it because hmm. you never know what you're going to get. And I'm quick. I'm a quick thinker, and I loved helping people. Loved coming to the rescue and and being kind to people who had been abused and beaten up. And right, you know, right, just. A great job. So when you were coming up, were there very uh, many female officers on? Um, no, there were, it wasn't, it was, you know, usual, mostly, mostly guys, about 12, 12, 1300 cops. Mm-hmm. And, did, and uh, go ahead, go that, ahead. That's okay, though. They, you know, you have to really work twice as hard to be when you're a female cop. I mean, that's just it. And really, it, it shouldn't be that way. It should be, you know, who can do the job and who can't. And right. um, 
I was quickly recognized as being a, a good shot and willing to do the most dangerous things without right. hesitation. And so I got a lot of respect very quickly. Okay. So I was in. Yeah, you kind of you kind of answer my question before I even ask. <laughs> yeah, you have to work a little bit harder to to prove that you belong there, and uh, that was automatic for you then, right? Well, I mean, they looked at me. I I I'm not. Uh, you know, there's some that are a little more masculine looking than other females, and I'm not. I'm. You know, I wore my hair in a ponytail, and you know, still look like. I don't know how else to say it. I still look, you know, feminine. So um, they they watched me, but I proved myself very quickly. I always worked out in the the fourth precinct had a gym, so I always lifted weights, and mm. was, you know, I'm still I still do that. So mm, good, you know, just everything that you should. I just believe that if you're wearing a uniform, especially a police uniform, you should you you know you're the first line of. Uh, the use of force continuum is officer presence, and you should look good in your uniform, and that to me means looking fit. Right. Like, don't don't uh, mess with me because the fight won't be easy. <laughs> That's good. You know? So, did you always stay in uniform, or did you go to any special uh, units or divisions? No, I stayed in. I stayed in patrol. They uh, they wanted to pull me out of the academy and have me go to vice and i was absolutely no not interested hmm. i wanted to be in the patrol car okay i you know i heard rumors of them doing that kind of stuff but uh i guess you happen to be one of those the true rumor that they would take you right out of the <laughs> academy you weren't done yet but they wanted to use you for vice yeah and you know just not interested at all it's like that's not anything that intrigued me so you didn't stay in that very long then <laughs> i didn't do it at all i didn't i just declined the offer you know they asked you know do you want to come to vice and i'm like no no okay i want to continue training and be in a patrol car i'll be darned. so how, how many years did you stay with minneapolis five five years with minneapolis and yeah. talk about where you left when you left minneapolis where did you go then I, w I moved to out here to Colorado, and I was hired as a uh, criminal investigator for the Department of Labor and Employment, and worked with on a project with the governor um, with uh, illegal immigrants and social security fraud. So, you know, like for example, one. One social security number was used 99 times in 23 states, and so that was interesting. I was wow. that was neat that I got to work on a project with the governor and the hmm. directors of the Department of Labor and Employment. So, now are you still doing that right now? No, I, I got a phone call one day in my office, and it was from the director of the of the Department of Corrections. Uh, it was his secretary. And he, he was in Colorado Springs, and she said, Mr. Ortiz would like you to be his guest for lunch and to be to be a parole officer. He was trying to recruit me to be a parole officer, which is unheard of. And I talked to my director about it, and he said, you know, when the new governor comes in, they're going to do away with your investigative unit. You're, so I would I would take a look at that. You'll be able to keep your peace officer's license and so I ended up taking a big pay cut and moving to Colorado Springs and hmm. I became a parole officer you have to be a police officer to be a parole officer right and you're dealing with felons who are only out because of uh, prison overcrowding right right and uh, so and then the shooting happened just a few months after that hmm. that same year Okay, all right. Since since you brought it up, let's let's back up, and we're talking uh, December of uh, two thousand and seven, right? Yep. Okay, I'm going to let you tell the story and paint the picture for our listeners. And I mean, when I caught onto this story, you were talking about being home and not wanting to go to uh, deciding whether or not you were going to go to church. So I'll go from there and let you take it from there. You go right ahead, man. I I hope that. 
listeners are not tired of hearing this story. Um, it, I mean, I never get tired of sharing it because it, it was just so powerful and amazing what happened. And I mean, just the, just the timeline of getting that strange phone call, being recruited to Colorado Springs, mm-hmm. you know, the, the director of, of the DOC, they don't, they don't recruit people. And so that was really interesting mm-hmm. when I think about it. And so I'm here, I'm being brought to Colorado Springs. And I was like, I have, I had no desire to go to church. I wasn't, wasn't a believer. Hmm. And, uh, but this big, huge new life church was one mile exactly from where I had gotten apartment. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and so I, I just, you know, I just decided I think I'll start going to church, and then I, you know, I, I became a believer, and um, then I, I didn't know anybody. It felt like I was invisible because it was such a big church, and I would go by myself, and and then one day it was like involuntarily I I found myself walking toward the information center at the church, and and I heard myself saying, "Who's in charge of security?" <laughs> and and all of a sudden, a guy was standing there, and they handed me an application to be a part of the security team. And and uh, it was very surreal because I didn't even want to be part of the team. It's like I was working very hard uh, five days a week as a parole officer. I mean, that's not an easy job. Right. Your work is never done. And. Uh, so like five weeks later, after after they did an intensive background check, I I made the cut. So I was part of the team, and since I was the only female and the only police officer, they wanted me to be armed. There was a few more that were armed, but not all of us. We never had any active shooter training ever, and uh, nor did we expect that to happen. You know, because being a, a part of the security team, the only reason we had armed people is because the former pastor, Ted Haggard, who had that big sex scandal with a, with the male escort, mm-hmm. right. uh, one year prior, one year prior to this, uh, apparently some police officers had pulled over a car that was acting suspicious, the driver, and they opened his trunk, and he had a, he had a trunk filled with weapons, and he was planning on... Uh, killing Ted Haggard. Wow. From from what I understand, and so they decided to have a, a security team because of that. Hmm. And I don't know how many years prior that that incident had happened. Right. They had already always had one, and <clears throat> so I became part of the team, and uh, and that happened probably mid October okay. that I became part of the team, and the shooting happened. Uh, you know, the end of the year, or the end of 2007, so. Right, right. Now, when you say the team, how many people were on this team for the church? Um, I think about 12 of us. And were it, you... It varied. <clears throat> Not everybody was there every Sunday. Right. But... Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that was going to be my question. I mean, how many were there? Okay, so... On that day, I mean, you're signed up and everything. Were you assigned to be there at the church that day, or... You just don't have a... No, um, no. I mean, we were just volunteers. We didn't have uniforms. We didn't have bulletproof vests or anything. And, you know, just like a parole officer, we didn't... We just wore plain clothes. We had a badge and a gun, but we didn't have bulletproof vests. So I just had my Beretta, you know, 92 FS, 16 rounds with mm-hmm. one in the chamber. Right. And uh, I was... I had, I had wanted to, I asked uh, this pastor couple, this husband and wife, you know, like, what do I do? I'm, I want direction from God for my life, you know, like, what does he want me to do? And they said, you know, go on a three-day fast. Three days seems to be the magic number. And I said, okay, I'll do it. What is a fast? What does fasting mean? And they said, well, you go without food. You just have liquids for, you know for three days, and I said, okay, I'll do it. So that Friday before that Sunday, the, the fateful Sunday, I started my fast, and and I I worked out my usual two hours and <laughs> didn't mm-hmm. eat. <laughs> right. And uh, 
because I wanted to hear from God. I'm like, I know I'm going to hear from God. They said I would. And and uh, then Saturday came, and there was a big play at the church on Saturday night. And and, uh, and I asked my director, I'm like, am I doing this fasting stuff right? And he said, yeah. And he goes, why don't you just stay home uh, Sunday? You know, don't serve tomorrow. Why don't you just stay home and and just, you know, meditate? And I was like, well, I'll play it by ear. And so Sunday came, and I got up early, and I'm like, yeah, I think I'll stay home today. So I didn't even have to call him. I didn't, it was like no big deal, you know. Mm-hmm. I had the option. Right. So I, I, I was not going to go, and I had, I was, you know, reading my Bible and stuff, and then I decided to look on the Internet, and I saw a little tiny uh, box that said there had been a shooting in Denver, and we were about 70-some miles south of Denver, and it was this place called YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and I didn't know what that was, but it was it's some Christian college-type place, right. like a dorm. <clears throat> there had been a shooting, 12.30 midnight, same, so same day. And uh, the gunman had um, not been apprehended. And I just got goosebumps. Like, I just know this guy, just very powerful gut feeling. Uh, I felt like this guy is going to come to New Life Church. And it was so strong. I, I called the director and I said, did you hear about this shooting in Arvada? That's a, Den- that's a suburb, you know, uh-huh. west, northwest in Denver. And he said, yeah, I heard about it. And I said, I'm coming in. And I didn't tell him that I knew the, sh- the gunman was going to come there because, you know, how do you know? Oh, God, God told me, you know, like, okay, right. we'll send the paddy wagon <laughs> so so i didn't t- i didn't say anything to anybody you right. know <clears throat> and i showered and i was thinking you know i might not be coming home today because you know what if i got killed but i was just it was just a thought i wasn't scared or anything i was just thinking man i might not be coming home today interesting i think i'll still go to church hmm. so i i got to the to the church and the the description of the gunman was vague and uh it it just said he was a white male in his mid-20s and we were given no height or weight which would have been somewhat helpful you know is he tall or short or is he heavy just that he was a white male in his mid-20s possible hat uh possible glasses that's it (laughs) here this church is like fifteen thousand members two services and I arrived uh, toward the end of the second of the first service, <clears throat> and I was just alert. I was just vigilant. I noticed there were extra Colorado Springs off-duty officers, so they're in uniform, and, I'm, and I didn't, I didn't even think anything of it. You know, we always had one off-duty officer inside, and then a couple patrolling the parking lot because right. we had thefts from vehicles of computers and stuff like that. Uh-huh. So that was a deterrent. And and uh, so the, the uh, first service ends, there was extra people, both services, because, because we had a guest speaker. And, um, you know, people were kind of teasing me like, oh, are you packing today? And... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I didn't say anything, but they were teasing me and uh, just joking around. And <clears throat> I was kind of serious. And um, second service starts and ends. And uh, during that service, uh, we have we had these seventy thousand uh, dollar radios, so they were kind of like the secret service, you know, with the cord behind our ears that right. you, could, you couldn't see them. And right. So it was a very sophisticated radio system and shared by, you know, housekeeping and ushers and everybody else on different channels. And so um, someone said, you know, there's a weird guy in such and such section. He's leaning against the wall. So I immediately made a beeline into the sanctuary and uh, two Colorado Springs off-duty officers followed me and... I, I saw this guy, and 
immediately look at his hands. You know, that's the first thing you look at. That's where they carry the weapon. And mm -hmm. <clears throat> I just said, security, come with me. And uh, he he didn't argue. He just, so I let him go first, and I patted him down. I had him lift up his shirt so I could see his waist and patted him down and everything. And, and I told him why I was stopping him. And, and uh, well, it wasn't him, but it was just... It was intense, you know. The, right. the feeling in the sanctuary was just a different feeling, and and uh, so the second service ends, and people were lingering yet again, right? Because uh, usually they go, they went home, you know, and I, I always made it a habit to stay until everybody had gone home, right? So I was usually there from eight until probably one thirty or two, and. Um, the, it was 1245. I was standing next to the usual off-duty officer that was usually there. And he goes, well, I'm out of here. And I said, wow, really? And I'm like, it's, there's still so many people here. And, and they left and their, their off-duty gig was up. And so all the, all the police cars left and the gunman we found out later had been in the front in his car watching and, and waiting for them to leave. Wow. And so you never assume. Mm -hmm. So I found out, I found out in 2011, years later, from an, uh, a retired homicide detective that the gunman had actually emailed the pastor of the church saying he was coming there. He had used a fake name, so we didn't know who he was. Right. But when you had already shot and killed people, he had had shot and killed people at that YWAM facility, uh, shot four, killing two at midnight, remember? Right. So when you get an email from the same person saying, I'm coming there next, you don't leave. Just because the second and last service is over, right. you don't assume, you know, I guess he's not coming here after all, because it's, hmm. it's almost 100 miles, you know. So that's a lesson for police officers. Don't ever assume. Oh, yeah. Especially in those circumstances. So that's why there were extra off-duty officers there. Okay. And, again, I didn't I didn't even know till 2011 about the email until I was told by a retired homicide detective. Hmm. So, so they left, and I was inside the lobby, and, again, seven, there were 7,000 people there. And... This was by a police count, and someone says, security, there's uh, some guy says there's uh, something weird going on outside. So I went up and talked to him. He goes, yeah, because there's like a smoke bomb going out hmm. outside. And mm -hmm. so I, I went out to investigate, and I didn't think, oh, the, the shooter's here. You know, I just I was just going on a gut feeling, right. remember, that's why I showed up, but so I, you know, we have. There's a lot of people, a lot of kids that could have been anything, and so there was a commercial grade smoke device, just smoke pouring out of it. And it looked like a stick of dynamite, only it was light blue in color. Right. And you know, people were just walking through it like it was no big deal. And I'm like, don't walk through that. You know, could it explode? Is it toxic smoke? And I'm thinking, should I call the fire department and trying to keep people back and so I was getting witness information it just stopped the smoke just stopped and I was mm -hmm. I was getting witness information and <clears throat> and police officers know you always get very different witness accounts so oh, yeah. you know, somebody said uh, you know it was it was uh, three white guys in a in a white car right and someone else goes it was a it was a white guy in a red car one guy in a red car and right so I was going in, I went inside and I was going to write down that information for my report. And, and before I could even start writing, I heard there's another smoke grenade, smoke bomb on the, uh, outside the cafeteria doors, which was probably 150 to 200 yards from where I was. And before I could even say another one, I heard this pop, pop, pop. And and uh, I made my way toward the east hallway of the of the church, and just on my left. And the east hallway is about a hundred yards 
long at least and about 30 feet wide and it houses all these adult special needs the the child the babies what do you call it the daycare right right uh youth just it was busy it was the busiest hallway parents were checking out their kids you know you have to check them out make sure they're the kids belong to that person and so right. it was just it was filled with hundreds of men women and children and and then all of a sudden just a high powered crack or the crack of a high powered rifle starts going off and i it was so loud i thought he was inside and just incredible how loud it was and and of course in minneapolis i you know we had shootings very frequently i've seen a lot of you know, death and mangled bodies and things, but this was so loud. It was, you know, just, I'll never forget that. And so, I was, you know, everybody's screaming and some guy yells, get down, he's got a gun. Hmm. And uh, it was chaos. Everybody was running, the, you know, toward me, the opposite. And I, and I was like, where is he? I couldn't, I couldn't see. And this security, my partner, he said, he says, there he is, Gene. He's coming in right now. So he wasn't even inside. He was shooting with an AR-15 through the glass doors. Wow. So he was shooting through the crowds of people. Hmm. And the, his his bullets went all the way into the sanctuary. You know, because an AR-15 is, I believe it shoots at least 300 yards. Wow. And uh, so I just, without hesitating, I sprinted down the hall. And I got, everybody's running past me, and all of a sudden, um, miraculously, is the, is the only word fitting, everybody had found a place to hide. It was, the, the halls were empty, hmm. absolutely empty. And, you know, it was it's like when you go into a ghetto apartment and you turn on the lights and, you know, all the cockroaches are scattered and they're gone. <laughs> That's kind of what it reminded me of. And... Um, I hope I know some cops appreciate that analogy. Oh yeah, I know what you're <laughs> but, uh, talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the gunman is is now in, and he's so it's just me and him. And I'm thinking, and I I stopped running. Now I'm walking, and I'm thinking, okay, now would be a good time to take cover. And hmm. and uh, so he continued. Uh, to fire, he was trying to shoot and kill the elderly people at the volunteer desk, and they had been lying on the ground. And boy, I saw the bullet holes later. He, he, that's another miracle they didn't hit those people lying on the ground. He was a, he was a good shot. Hmm. And uh, so I, I took, I got up pretty close, and I was going to, I got up to a hallway that was perpendicular to the hallway he was walking down, the big the big hallway. Right. And um, I was like, okay, I love this stuff. I was thinking, I love this stuff, but I don't want to screw up, and I need God. And so I prayed for God to be with me. And I, I you know, I didn't want to get killed. I, you know, I wasn't scared. Nothing was you know, it wasn't slow motion, it wasn't fast, it was just normal time. Right. And I just knew I needed God, because I, I didn't, if I was killed, he'd kill a lot of people. And mm -hmm. so I I was going to wait till he got even with me, and then I was going to shoot him. So I was in the high ready, and I thought, no, this isn't doesn't feel right. So I prayed again, God, please just be with me. And then I just, I just stepped out and and I said, police officer, drop your weapon. And I immediately felt this most powerful presence surround me, like like uh, indescribable, powerful presence mm -hmm. surround me. And I'll never forget that, ever, ever. And when when the gunman was walking in, I felt a huge presence of evil like i was impressed i'm like wow i mean if if i didn't know god i think i would have been scared to death hmm. 
but I was just impressed. And the, the presence that I felt was far more powerful than the evil presence. Wow. So it was just incredible. Uh-huh. The, the, the good versus evil was incredible. And, and so he points as they are at me. And before he could pull the trigger, I just went, bam, 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 five times, rapid fire. And he falls back. He kind of went flying back, which was, it was interesting. I didn't expect that. And he fell all the way back on his back. And he, it, this was at 63 feet. And um, I, well, I had my gun pointed at him. And I walked toward him. And I said, drop your weapon or I will kill you. And he sits up and starts firing at me. I didn't know that one round had taken out both femurs it was a it was just like kind of like a lucky shot it must have been one of the first shots you know mm-hmm. and uh, so he couldn't stand up and i didn't find that out till later but uh he so he starts firing at me so now we're at a close closer range and you know i just wanted him to stop you know right. nobody wants to kill somebody and i just had to keep shooting him and he had drugs in his system i found out later and uh, so, and I also saw later that there were bullet holes in the wall behind where I was standing. And uh, just that kind of made me like, holy cow, that was lucky. I didn't get hit. Mm-hmm. And uh, some guy um, immediately runs up to me and he's like, he was screaming this. He goes, that was the coolest thing I have ever seen. How did you do that? <laughs> and 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 I wasn't in a mood to celebrate. I was just like, right. you know, like I'd obviously seen a lot of shootings and stuff like that. But I, this was just so. It was just so you know the powerful presence I felt versus the evil and right. just it was so wild. I just I was just like. I told, so then one of the guys, security guys runs up to me and I go, get this guy away from me. And, and his name's Carl. He goes, he goes, go check the lobby. So I just ran down and Carl stayed with the body. He was deceased. I saw him breathe his last breath. You know, Mm -hmm. I had to, sorry, you know, I was going to, I was trying to handcuff him. I was taught handcuff dead or alive. Right, right. So I knew he was deceased, but Carl stayed with the body. I, um, his gun, his AR was pointed down away from him, away from me. And uh, Carl stayed and watched the body. And I checked the lobby, and um, I saw the uh, Colorado Springs police cars start to pull up. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I went, cleared the lobby, and I knew he was the gun. I knew he was the same gunman. Right. But but since people had said, you know, it was three guys, I checked. You know, you never assume. So I checked and cleared it and went back up there and a SWAT team came in and they were all crouched down and they, they see us standing there and they're like, there was like three or four guys on the left by the body and I was over on the right by myself and they're like, who killed him? And the guys all pointed at me and I kind of just raised my hand like, I did, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just. Uh, hmm. They, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, let me let me ask you a question because maybe I missed it. You said the first time you shot him, uh, you shot five shots and it took his femur out. Then you said he two both both, both legs, femurs out around. right. Yeah. And then he fired at you again, a second yeah. time. He sat up. He sat up. Right. And fired again. He he fired three times. He kind of like tried to get down a hallway, another hallway, and mm-hmm. I could not lose sight of him or I would have had another complete other situation. Right. And so I couldn't let, I couldn't lose sight of him and I need, he needed to just stop and he didn't, mm-hmm. he wouldn't give up. So you had to so shoot I had, him again? I had shot him 10 times. Okay. Yeah, a total of 10 times. Okay. And he finally came to an end. Yes. Okay. So you you described the hallways. You said they were almost a hundred yards long. They were at least a hundred yards long. And yeah. this this Maybe is a, a big bu- this is a big building then. It's huge. 
It's, I think it's the biggest church in Colorado, if I'm not mistaken. And it just so happened that you were at the right place when he was coming through that door down the hall from you. Yep. And all the and shooting. I wasn't even. Yeah. I wasn't even going to go that day. So. Yeah. And all the all the rounds that he was firing through the door before he came in. Did anyone else get hit? No. No, and. That's another miracle because I read the the police report was 450 pages and I read through it and people had said, um, you know, my son felt the burning in his ankle and we lifted up his jeans and there was nothing there. And then a guy that I had talked to later said, I knew, I knew he shot me in the back. I was, I was convinced a hundred percent and they lifted my shirt and there was nothing there. And, I, I read at least four different accounts of people saying that they knew they had been shot, and I just know that that was angels protecting them. Wow. It was very, very uh, interesting. Any clue on how many shots he fired? Um, wow, nobody's ever asked that. I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've, I have never found that out. Hmm. He had... Um, he had a backpack on, and I didn't know that. And the pastor said, "If he, he, he had he had seventeen hundred plus rounds on him and in that backpack, and they were in thirty round magazines." Wow! And like I said, he had an AR fifteen. And the pastor said, "If you would have known how many rounds of ammunition would you have taken him on?" And it's like that has nothing to do with it. Absolutely, I don't care how many rounds he had, and. And then um, they opened the trunk of his vehicle, and he had maps to other locations. He had another 1,000-plus rounds and an AK-47. He was not going to stop his killing spree Mm -hmm. at New Life Church. He was going to keep going until, probably, until he was stopped. Wow. So when you look back, and you kind of mentioned it at the beginning, on how your life sent you all the way to Denver and next thing you know you're going to a church (laughs) next thing you know you're fasting when you look back do you see how all the things fell into place for you to be there yeah it's it's really intriguing to me how all that happened and um amazing hmm yeah, I guess you don't connect the dots until you look back at them, but you have no clue what's going on. Now, with all the fasting going on, <laughs> this is kind of a silly question, but I mean, you you were fasting and everything, and Saturday or Sunday would have been your last day for fasting, right? Yeah, that was the last day. So you could have easily stayed at home and waited to get something to eat <laughs> before you went to go to church at all, right? Well, I, was, I wanted to hear from God, you know. It was right. like the third and final day. I was like, if God's going to speak to me. You know, I was just very faith. I had a lot of faith. You know, I still do. But, right. You know, I was like, what's God going to tell me? So <laughs> so what did you get out of it? What did he tell you? He told me to get to church. <laughs> Save lives. <laughs> That's a, he that spoke, was the message. <laughs> so he spoke loud and clear to you on that day, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. There was just no hesitation. There was no doubt that I I had to get to that church. There was just no doubt. Hmm. And that was a loud and clear message. And, you know, I tell people when I do speaking engagements, I, say, I always tell them, this is true, there is no such thing as women's intuition. It is gut instinct, which cops have. And everybody really has it, right. you know, and it's the, the more you listen to it, that, that gut feeling, the better that you're going to be listening to your gut, you know, especially as a cop, like, and I tell people, you know, if you feel like somebody's behind you, following you, I don't care if you feel like an idiot, run or do whatever it takes and get out of there. Right. You know, just always listen to your gut instinct. So, you know, does this guy have a gun? Should I wait for backup? Or, you know, should I pull my gun? Should I have my gun out and ready as I approach this car? You know, just just listen to it. Right. So you're listening. That even means listening to your gut and listening to those instincts when it told you it's time to leave one job and move somewhere else. Right? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't leave Minneapolis. Minneapolis. That was a bad scenario with Minneapolis. I had some couple of sergeants that I was apparently they were younger, not younger than me, but the older lieutenants and captains and stuff really liked me. And to the to the younger sergeants, these, this male and female, I was apparently they didn't like me. And I I got letters of appreciation from citizens, you know, weekly, weekly. And it was surprising. All I did was my job. And they would note my badge number and write the chief or write my sergeants. And right. you'd think that they would say, wow, we're lucky to have this kind of cop. And uh, those two sergeants didn't like it, so they fabricated stories, and mm-hmm. uh, they ended up getting rid of me, and it was not pretty. Right. So it wasn't a it wasn't a happy, you know, departure from Minneapolis at all. Right, but, but things were made up, and it's on it. You know, it's been hard. It's been really hard, and. You know, people are like, well, if you hadn't left Minneapolis, then you wouldn't have saved all those people. And that that is comforting, but I still hurt. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I hurt my heart. Oh, yeah. Because, well, you're good at what you do. and I am. Are you getting back into, you're back into law enforcement though, right? I I never left. Mm -hmm. I never left law enforcement. I, uh, you know, I got that job doing the criminal investigations out here and then parole and and uh, I'm an investigator now, and mm-hmm. I just there's nothing like being in a in a patrol car, though. Yeah. But it's it's so different now. It's like, uh, so I, I, I get, don't know. I miss it. I yeah. miss it a lot. <laughs> so I never got to ask you when. What year did you start as a a patrolman? When you graduated from the academy, what year was that? Um. <laughs> Come I don't on know. now. I don't want to. I don't want to put numbers on that. That's you're gonna make me sound old. I'm only thirty. <laughs> oh, <laughs> For man. the record, thirty oh. years old. Okay. <laughs> 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 we'll leave it. Okay, you know we'll leave it at that. We'll have to Thank do the. You. We'll, we'll do okay. the math later <laughs> off the air. <laughs> but now all of this is going on. I mean. I guess, you know, people watch movies and they see these things on TV. Kind of give our listeners a feel of the aftermath. What happened after that? I mean, there's, you're in a church. There's broken glass. There's a body laying there. Uh, There's an investigation going on. What did you have to do? Yeah. What did you have to do after that? You paint a picture for us. Um, They, you know, you're supposed to wait, like, several hours, 24, 48 hours before you take a statement. And they uh, took me, you know, people had been killed in the parking lot. So the pop, pop, pop noises were people getting killed. They were also an alert to me that the gunman was coming in. But he was he was shooting and killing people in the parking lot. Oh, okay, and, didn't know that. Yeah, so he shot nine, killed four. So it was it's a mass shooting. And... Um, a, uh, they, they led me to another part of the church and like, Gene, do you want, do you want something to eat? And I'm like, no, I don't. And they're like, Gene, do you want to call your family or anything? And I'm like, no, I'm good. And, and, uh, they're like, really? You, you don't want, and I'm like, well, oh, maybe this might be on the news. I better, I mean, I was just like, you know, this was new. So I'm like, well, okay, I'll call my sister. So. I call him, I have a fraternal twin, so I, I call her, and I'm like, Jen, she goes, what? And I go, a gunman just came in our church firing an AR-15. She goes, holy crap. And I go, I killed him. She goes, holy crap. Hmm. And I go, well, got to go. <laughs> <laughs> so my poor sister. Oh, wow. I, and I have, uh, I have six siblings, so it was on the news, and... Uh, they took me downtown. I remember a cop, uh, he, he asked for my weapon, and I just lifted up my shirt. I, think, I, I mean, not far, just so he could see my waistband. And right. he took my gun and and uh, took me downtown. And I just, I was, they left me alone for a long time. And I didn't, 
I didn't talk to my other uh, to the other security guys. I you know because I know you're not supposed to exchange stories or anything. Right. So to preserve the evidence and but they left me alone for a long time, which I didn't care for. And mm-hmm. um and then finally some new sergeant took me in a room and he was asking me questions and stuff like that. And I could not remember everything. Right. I just couldn't. So, so. sleepless nights, I'm sure, right? Absolutely. You know, they, you know, they're just, just seeing him take his last breath. You know, I'd seen that before. Right. I'd seen people take their last breath from getting, having getting killed either by a officer involved shooting or by uh, another gang member. And, but I felt bad. I didn't think this dirtbag tried to kill me. I just felt like, you know, I felt sad. Like this guy was confused and, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a bleeding heart, but I did. This is what I'm just telling you how I was feeling. And, and, uh, he had just turned 24 that Wednesday and, Mm -hmm. Um, so, and then they were like, Gene, you want to stay with, uh, you want to stay with somebody? Cause my family, they don't live here. I'm, I'm out here by myself. Right. And I did not want to be with anybody. I just wanted to go home and be with my cat. Right. You know, that's just where I wanted to be. I was, so I didn't, you know, my brother called me and, and, uh, I was working for this guy that, that said, um, he goes, you don't have to come in tomorrow at eight. He goes, why don't you be here at like 1030? <laughs> oh. I'm like, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, he had a soft heart, didn't he? <laughs> he just wasn't thinking. That right. Was funny. <laughs> right. But I, I didn't sleep that night and, and, you know, I didn't sleep for a long time. Right. So. Yeah, I'm sure you did the whole counseling thing and all that. Did they offer that to you? No, no. I saw look, I saw um, a counselor from the Colorado Springs Police, and he said, "He goes, you're amazing. He goes, this is exactly where we'd like you to be after a shooting." And he goes, "You're you're you're great. You're doing great." And you know, the I wasn't. You know, I knew I I knew I did the right thing. I didn't think, "Oh, why me?" I didn't get that guilt. Like, why not? you know, why him and not me? Sorry, it's him or, or, or you. And I did the right thing, no doubt. But what I couldn't sleep, why I couldn't sleep is because of that amazing presence that I felt protecting me. It was just, that was mind blowing. Hmm. It was really cool. And, uh, I, I've, that, that protection has never left me. Hmm. You know, like every time I'm in a dangerous situation, I feel that same not not the not the same power, but I feel the protection around me. Wow! It's like it's a gift. Like it'll never leave me. And there's really no way you can explain that feeling. Can you try to explain it? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. Nothing close to it. Never felt anything like it. <laughs> no. Wow. No, it was just amazing. It was like, I was like, just, there was no doubt it was God protecting me or some big angel or something. But Carl said later, he goes, I saw you down the hall and he goes, you look like you're about 20 feet tall. And and I think he must have seen an angel or something, the angel that was protecting me. I don't care if that sounds weird to people. It's Hmm. the truth. Hmm. It's the absolute truth. Well, there's something. There, you know, obviously, there's something to that. So, so you know, with everything that's happened, you're moving on. Something amazing happened where you got to meet someone. Why don't you share that with us? Oh, oh, that. <laughs> yeah. How did um, that? How did that all come together? <laughs> I was at I was at home, and I think I was working for the Palmer Lake Police, and. Um, I got, I was at home and I got a phone call from the church secretary and she said, the white house called and president George W. Bush wants to meet you. And I was like, wow. (laughs) So, uh, then I get a second call a few minutes later and they, they said, the pastor wants to know if he can come with you to meet the president. Okay. (laughs) 
and so I wanted to bring my my twin sister, you know, like call her out, but right. He he wanted to meet the uh, the president, so it was really neat, you know. President Bush, it was really cool. He's about six six feet at least. He's you know, and he's like. I kept thinking, remember, it was cold and windy, so I kept thinking, remember to take your gloves off. Remember to take your gloves off, because it was, I wanted to shake his hand, and I had these Maui Jim sunglasses on, and you can't even feel them. So I I felt bad later when I saw the pictures. I'm like, he probably thinks I was being disrespectful because I didn't take my glasses (laughs) off, my sunglasses off, but it was a cool picture. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So he shakes my hand, and he's like, good job, I'm proud of you. Wow. And, wow. <laughs> and uh, it was really neat. I said, uh, I didn't know what to say. And I go, I, I, I said, it's just an, an honor to meet you. And thank you for doing such a wonderful job of running our country. And mm. I just think you're a wonderful man. And he kind of leans back and he's like, I want my picture with her. And he gives me a side hug. And and the, I guess the White House photographer, whoever, took took a great picture of us. and mm-hmm. It was neat. He autographed it. They sent they sent it to me autographed and hmm. So how long did you how long did you hang out with him? Just a couple hours or what? Oh no. It was like five minutes, five, <laughs> ten minutes. Okay. Just long enough to Well, that's kinda neat. I mean that's really neat. Kinda nothing. That's really neat. Yeah, yeah. it was cool. It was neat. Oh my. <laughs> so with all of the events that unfolded and I mean, you obviously are moving forward in your life, and this thing keeps coming up in your mind. It's always going to be there with you. What, with the events that are unfolding today, I mean, the two mass shootings we've recently have. What is your opinion on all the talk about you know, uh, gun control, uh, the president doing something or not doing something? What is your take on all of that? I just. I just think that it's, you know, there's, there's, uh, as a cop, I think, I think all cops probably feel the same way. We all believe in the second amendment. You all have a right to have, uh, we all have a right to have, uh, protection. Right. And especially in our homes. Mm -hmm. And, but there is a side fear of, you know, if I'm off duty, so, so the guy that said how cool it was in the in the hallway, he also at first thought I was another gunman, another shooter. What? And, and this partner, Carl, said, "No, she's a cop. Otherwise, he would have tried to kill me." So the so the thing is, you know, what if some c- civilian who means well can't tell I'm a cop? Cops can usually, you know, we can feel. That's a cop right there. Mm-hmm. By the way, we carry ourselves or something. There's like a sense like that person's a cop. Right. Whether we're in uniform or not. And I just hope that a civilian just doesn't mistake an off-duty officer and, and accidentally kill them or kill another civilian that's also trying to take out the gunman. That's that's kind of a fear. But hmm. uh, don't don't try to take our guns. Bottom line is don't try to take our guns. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew I've I'm always armed, always. And I knew that there would be a shooting at a theater before that happened. You know, the the Aurora right. Theater here. And I knew that I would I should always be protected in the grocery store. I just felt I'm all, I always told my buddy, you know, don't wander away when we're when we're grocery shopping because in case a, a gunman comes in and hear this shooting happens in the Boulder King Supers and so just always be prepared and be ready and you know pray Hmm. your first line of defense I tell people is not your gun it's God Hmm. pray first right right my 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 okay um Minneapolis um this whole incident with uh, George Floyd, it's in the news. They're in trial right now. Give me your feelings on, I mean, everything that's happened and even what's going on in the trial right now that we've seen so far. I I think it's really in, interesting that of all places, 
for a big disruption, for, you know, with with police police brutality allegations. Why why did they choose Minneapolis? Very, uh, you know, why not Chicago or New York or something like that? So so that's interesting to me, and um, I don't know. I, I don't. Quite frankly, those cops don't deserve to go to jail at all. They, uh, their mistake was they didn't. I know from Minneapolis cops, you know, since I was a Minneapolis cop, that his neck was never leaned on. He never was pressing on his neck at all. He had medical problems. He was on uh, drugs and things like that. And um, so I hope that they don't go to jail and. You know, I just, I also fear for the verdict that if they don't, there's going to be more riots. And it's just out of, it's, it's tragic, but there's people that just want to believe that cops are, all, all cops are bad. And it's, those cops weren't, weren't bad. They made a mistake, you know. You, when you've got somebody that's causing a scene like that, you handcuff and get, get the heck out of there. Take them to jail or take them to the hospital, wherever. But you never stay there and let the crowds grow. So um, those cops don't deserve to go to jail. They they just made some some errors, serious errors. But I'm not going to say uh, they did anything. They didn't do police brutality. They did not. They didn't. So what would with someone listening? Okay, I'm going to place because I know I'm going to get the email. <laughs> Someone listening would so ask, will I. <laughs> yeah, they're going to ask, then what do you think they did wrong? Was there anything they did wrong? I think the, uh, I think one of the, there was three, I think three rookies on their 10 day. Right. You know, for a 10 day for civilians listening is you are done with the academy and then you do your five months or so with your training officer. Right. And then the last 10 days, the officer that's training you wears plain clothes, and basically they're not there. They're just like a ride-along. They want mm -hmm. you to do everything. So you're considered a one-person squad. Okay. And uh, so I think I saw a, a rookie push, shove somebody. That was a mistake. Shouldn't have done that. That was, that was unnecessary. But um, what they did wrong was staying stay too long they should have cleared that scene they should have taken they should have gotten him out of there and and taken him to the hospital or whatever but mm -hmm. i know that his neck was not pressed on they didn't press on his neck okay and here they here's kill him. okay so someone listening is going to say well how would she know <laughs> if there was any pressure at all from watching it from a video because the um police officers that i know saw the they were they spoke they know and they're not that's not something they're they're gonna lie about i mean cops are like yeah he was a he was a a dumb a and he was leaning on his neck they just say it how it is and mm -hmm. they're not nice they're gonna say it like it is so when they say he didn't lean on his neck he didn't lean on his neck I'm I'm just hey, <laughs> I'm trying to get the answer out before they ask me about it. Yeah, so. I mean, I just you know we we're we're not supposed to cops know we're not supposed to money morning quarterback right. each other because we right. weren't there. But that that's what I was told, and um, it's the whole thing is tragic. Right. I'm not uh, George Floyd. I'm not saying anything bad about the guy at all. Right. No, no. I won't. Okay. And I won't say anything bad about the cop. Right. Now, the question came up the other day when they said this was all part of training. Were you trained to hold someone down like that also? No. Um, he was fighting because he was on drugs and everything. So, you know, you, you usually, when they're fighting like that, if they're kicking, you put them in, the, you know, you tie their hands and their feet and you carry them to the to the squad so they can't mm -hmm. hurt themselves or the officers right and you get them out of there very quickly so big mistake was staying there and i don't know why they i don't know why they stayed there I can't right. explain that. okay 
you know, we, we don't want to, we'll let the jury decide that and let the people who get paid the big bucks argue that in the courtroom. But I mean, I knew you yeah. were from there, so I just wanted to get a, your take on that. And um, I don't know, I don't know those officers. I don't know them, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to condemn them when, when I wasn't there. Right, right. Let's say there's a female listening and she's thinking about getting into law enforcement. What would be your advice to her? Um, you know, work out, be a good shot, be, you got to be thick-skinned and, you know, know that if you're good-looking, you might get your teeth knocked in <laughs> hmm. or your face hit or something. Just be, follow your heart. If you want to, I, I got into it because I just love, you know, coming to the rescue and defending people that were uh, abused and I was a I was always defending kids that were bullied from uh, from about three feet tall to till now so if that's your heart follow it be, become a police officer mm-hmm. and be a be a good cop and be compassionate be smart never turn your back on the bad guys hmm. and uh, but be compassionate too you know to the bad guys. You don't have to be a jerk. Right. So what advantage would you tell them? Say, this will be an advantage for you if you either learn this or do this. What would it be? I, you know, just always be fit. You got to be fit. You have to be alert. You know, are you brave? That goes, that goes, doesn't matter what gender you are. There's, there's male cops that aren't, aren't, you know, they, they'll get booted right away. There was a rookie that was all he did. He watched his uh, FTO, his field training officer, fight with somebody, and he sat in the in the police car and didn't get out and help. And he got let go. You know, you have to be quick thinking. You have to be alert and right. ready to rock and roll. Right, right. So, out in uh, Denver is your home now. <laughs> yes. Never going anywhere else. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm. I I like it out here. Hmm. But now, do you very ski? Very interesting. <laughs> do you ski? I used to. I used to. <laughs> traffic is like a deterrent now. It takes forever to get there and back because of traffic. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll be darned. Okay. <laughs> well, Gene, I tell you what. Like I said, when I heard your story and I saw it, because it was part of my training, also I had to go through. Um, I couldn't believe it. I thought, holy cow. I mean, we hear about these things, and then I saw you on there, and I thought, if there's a way I could get you on the air here and talk to you, I'd want to hear it. And you, I do appreciate you doing it, and I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it. And I'm sure it's going to be one of those where I got a whole bunch of emails and requests about questions. Why didn't you ask her this? Why didn't you ask her that? I'm like, <laughs> I just let you roll with it. You, You took it, and you told your story and that's what I wanted to have happen today but I wanted our listeners to know a little bit about you you're just as human as they are you make mistakes like they do but uh, when it's your turn up to bat you got to do the job right yeah you you said something it was a quote something about um, I, I can't remember exactly how you said it about we're better trained or something like that than the bad guy what was that if you remember it I said, we have the training, we have the courage, we have the equipment, and we took an oath to protect and serve, and whether you live in or die, you go in and you, you know, take care of business, hmm. you protect those people, because you took an oath to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that, and I thought, wow. Well, that that's it. That's it in a nutshell right there. Either you do it or you don't. Yeah. And if you don't, don't get involved in it, right? <laughs> you're you don't, you're betraying the public. You you know, they're expecting you even the bad guys that would shoot at us would be calling us for help when they'd get shot. And we would go code three, red lights and siren, risking our lives to save them when probably the the day before they were shooting at us. Mm-hmm. And um you know, you just don't take that stuff personal. Right. They're people. 
Right. And you you took you keep that oath. That's the bottom line. You keep the oath mm-hmm. that that you swore when you got that badge. Oh yeah. To uphold. That's right. Now, just to recap, what are you doing right now? What business or what career are you working right now? I'm I'm an investigator, and I would give anything for a more solid work. I mean, this is not uh, my dream job, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you could get back in the uniform in a squad car, you'd do it? Um. <laughs> Out here, I don't know. This is uh, this is a very liberal. There's just no other way to put it. This is a very liberal town. Hmm. So, you know, I just I have I I see stuff all the time that you know cars that need to be stopped, and I don't know. I think I'd be in it all the time, and they're like, "Good grief." Because I've got such great training from Minneapolis, so right. they'd be like, good grief, we got to get rid of her. She's stirring up the stuff too much. <laughs> well, if you do what you've done and let God lead the way, I'm sure pretty soon you'll figure out where you're supposed to go. Oh, man. God, give me my purpose, please. Mm-hmm. Not this. Not <laughs> what I'm doing right now. This is not my purpose. <laughs> well, for the I've time. I've got so much. So much to offer. I have a lot to offer. I have a lot of skills. And mm-hmm. Well, in time, in time. You pray for that and then expect to see that. Gene, I thank you very much. And like I said before, I'm sure our listeners thank you also. Thank you also for sharing your story and your life with us. Your life's not done yet, but uh, we really do appreciate it. And uh, thanks for being here today. Folks, thanks for tuning in to Police Pod Talk, and we will catch you again next week. Thanks again for hanging out with us. Remember, you can always go to policepodtalk at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook at Cleveland Junior or Police Pod Talk. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.